Hey there, GPSers, and welcome back to another edition of the GPS Podcast, where all of your podcast dreams come true. I hope you're doing well today, whenever and wherever you find yourself as you're listening to this. Hope that you are beginning to enjoy some of this warmer weather and some signs of spring that seem to be on the horizon, and hopefully more of those will come as we thaw out from last week and as we move a bit closer to spring. As we move closer to spring and we move closer to Easter Sunday, I hope that you are still journeying with us through this sermon series that we're calling A Gospeled Life. And by a sermon series, I mean teaching series. Uh, we're trying to read through the Gospels between the beginning of the year and Easter Sunday. And so if you've been journeying with us, we started all the way back in January with the simple challenge to read one gospel chapter a day. And if you were to read a gospel a day for 90 days, which leads right up to Easter Sunday, then you would have read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And for some of us, we are about halfway there. We're slowly making our way towards this goal. But if you haven't been reading along, totally okay. I would encourage you between now and Easter Sunday, April 4th, to go ahead and find a way to read a chapter a day of any gospel. Pick Matthew, pick Mark, pick Luke, pick John, and just take a chapter a day. And between now and Easter Sunday, you will have read through a whole gospel. The hope is that as we read these stories and teachings of Jesus, what will happen is that the gospel will move from a noun to a verb. So that we wouldn't just be people who know the gospel, but people who are gospeled in the lives that we live. And so if you've been reading along, then you know over the last week, we were reading through some chapters in the gospel of Luke. And today, I want to look at a passage and reflect on a passage from Luke chapter 6, verses 39 through 49. Luke chapter 6 verses 39 through 49. Jesus also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, friend, Let me take out the speck in your eye when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns and Grapes are not picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of the heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of evil treasure, produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me to hear my words and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply, laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, 
the river burst against that house, but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. Dear God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for time to listen to your word and to reflect upon it. And I pray that as I reflect on these words, that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching, and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and we would be transformed by it more into the image of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. It was on August 20th, 1979, that Bob Dylan released his 19th studio album called Slow Train Coming. What made this album interesting was that it was Dylan's first album since he underwent a conversion experience to Christianity. As he prepared the lyrics and lines of this album, his experiences in this new faith of Christianity shaped the trajectory of the songs on that album. One song in particular called Gotta Serve Somebody is a particular memorable song. If you've not heard it before, then here's a small taste. I'm going to read these lyrics, not sing them, don't worry. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. As the song slides along, Dylan continues to name various people and places in life, but woven throughout is a chorus that gets stuck in your head and heart. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I don't know what you think about Dylan or of this album, or if you can understand half of what he's saying in his songs, but I like this song. I like this song because that catchy chorus gets stuck in your head and forms a kind of groove in your heart and mind, and before you know it, you're pondering some deeper questions about your life. Who am I really serving. In other words, it's a discipleship song because it forces us to consider if we're serving the Lord or not. It's a discipleship moment because we're forced to consider who we are really following in life. And I think we need these discipleship moments on a regular basis. I think we need regular moments where we're confronted with whether or not we're following Jesus or not. Sometimes these moments come through songs, and sometimes these moments come through Scripture. In fact, the passage that I just read in Luke 6 is one of 
these discipleship moments. It's a discipleship text because it forces us to face some questions about the extent to which we are following Jesus. Luke has been preparing us for this discipleship moment in chapter 6 for a few chapters. Back in Luke chapter 4, we get our first real glimpse of who Jesus is and what his ministry is all about. As he takes up a scroll and reads a passage from Isaiah announcing the good news of release and recovery and of the Lord's favor on all kinds of people. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's about. And then in chapter 5, the next chapter, we have a series of calling and controversy stories where we begin to see a variety of reactions to Jesus. Some people choose to follow, others do not, and some oppose Jesus. If chapter 4 tells us who Jesus is and what he's about, then chapter 5 tells us how people responded. And then we get to chapter 6, and we move even closer to the discipleship moment. Jesus calls the 12 apostles, apostles who will become the core of this new movement he's launching. And right after their names are listed, Luke reports that along with those 12, Jesus goes and stands surrounded by a large crowd of his disciples and of people coming to hear and be healed. And then we read this small detail in verse 20 that gives us insight into what we're about to read. Because Luke tells us, looking at his disciples, he said. So what we're about to read is a discipleship moment. It's a moment where Jesus directs his words and teaching and attention to those men and women who would call themselves followers of Jesus. And we know this is a discipleship moment, not just because of the way that Luke introduces this teaching, but it's also a discipleship moment because of the actual content of teaching. In the ancient world, to say that you were a disciple implied that you had a teacher or a rabbi. And every teacher had a set of teachings. And so when a rabbi began to teach his disciples gathered around him, they would perk up because they were getting at a key aspect of their learning program. Yes, discipleship meant that you would follow around a rabbi to watch how he lived, but they were also following a rabbi around to hear what he instructed, their actual teaching. The teaching of the rabbi was a distinctive component of the discipleship process. The teaching of the rabbi mattered because it was that teaching that was to be lived out because a disciple of a given teacher was about living out their distinctive teachings in your life. You could tell the rabbi you followed because your life would take the shape of their teaching. When I was in high school, I decided to drop all of the sports that I was playing to focus simply on golf. And part of this change in focus included a change in my teacher. I was seeing one teacher, but decided that I needed a new teacher, so I would drive out to the other side of town each week and 
learn from this new teacher. The first time I went out to the driving range, I remember a strange thing happening. He had me hit a few golf balls, and he watched my swing closely. And after a while, he went on to tell me that we were going to start from the ground up in rebuilding my entire swing. And I remember feeling some initial resistance at the thought because I had had one teacher so long, and changing my actual swing almost felt like a betrayal of my previous teacher and all of the teaching that they had given me. He knew that I had changed teachers to come to him, and so this new teacher very sympathetically went on to explain that he was going to teach me some different things in some different ways because he was a different teacher, and that was going to require me to trust his teaching. And then he turned around and did something that I did not expect. He had me face down this long driving range. And look, it was a hot summer day and the range was filled with golfers. And with his arm over my shoulder, he would point out each of the men and women who had learned from him. He told me, that he could simply stand out on that driving range and watch their swings and know if he had taught them or not. Because his distinctive teaching created a distinctive kind of swing. It impacted their actual life. And so when Jesus begins to speak these words, looking at his disciples, he knows and they know that they're getting into the distinctiveness of this teacher and what it means to follow him. And we should therefore not skip too quickly over this distinctive content because it's intended to shape our lives into distinctive disciples of our teacher, Jesus. And so we listen to Jesus teach us that God's favor is given to those who seem to be the least favored in the world. That those who seem most favored in the world are those who should be most concerned. We hear him teach that love and goodness, blessing and prayer are to be offered to both friends and enemies. That retaliation and getting even and only being kind to your kind are not the way of Jesus. We hear him teach that generosity and mercy and forgiveness are the ways we reflect God in the world, and that judgment and condemnation and showing partiality is not the way of Jesus. That we are called to walk the world reflecting the mercy of God. This is a discipleship moment because this teaching is calling disciples to a new way of life. Because when we say that we follow a certain teacher, our lives are to reflect their teaching. This distinctive teaching content of Jesus is intended to create distinctive disciples in the world. And yet, I'll be the first to admit that learning to live these ways of Jesus is a difficult process. In fact, I'm convinced that Jesus knew how difficult this new way of life would be because the way 
he ends this teaching in Luke 6, our actual text for today. Right at the end of the sermon in verse 39, there is a single sentence that marks off this last section of teaching, this phrase, and then he told them a parable, or as some read it, he also told them this parable. But here's what's really interesting about our passage is that Jesus goes on to tell four different parables. A parable about blind guides, a parable about specks of sawdust, a parable about bad fruit, and one about faulty foundations. There is this sense in which Luke sees these closing four parables held together by one thing. They all fit on a single seamless thread for him. And my reading of these closing parables is that the thread that holds them together is that they all reflect barriers to obedience. They all reflect barriers to true discipleship to Jesus, to actually live out the distinctive teaching of Jesus. And with each barrier, I also think they give us insight into moving deeper into the ways of living out Jesus, living out the ways that he teaches us to live, to remind us of what is required to be his distinctive disciples. The first barrier is what I call blind discipleship. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Blind discipleship is the temptation to never admit who is really teaching you. In other words, we remain blind to all the people who are influencing and instructing the shape of our lives. The summer I served as a chaplain in Houston, Texas, one of my instructors led us through an exercise where we had to list foundational beliefs of our lives. We had to write down basic things that we thought to be true about life and suffering, faith, money, and so on. And then he made us draw a line from each statement and write out the person or people group's name who taught us that lesson. So I would write a lesson and then I would draw a line and I began to write the names of people and events that shaped how I saw so many different things in my life. One significant temptation in our lives is to never admit the people or moments or events that have really taught us how to live. You see, we have been shaped to believe that we're these largely individual creatures making our own decisions, but that's a lie. Everybody is learning how to live from somebody. The call of disciples of Jesus is to openly admit the people who have taught us and influenced us and then to see how what they taught us lines up with the teachings of Jesus. Because some of us are guided by people who are going to lead us into the pit of a pointless life. The second barrier is what I call backwards discipleship. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? 
Backwards discipleship is the temptation to, to try to turn others into a disciple before ever becoming a disciple yourself. It's like your house is on fire and you go next door to tell your neighbor their smoke alarm is going off. It's like looking over the fence and pointing out how your neighbor could have done a better job of trimming their shrubs while you're growing a jungle in your backyard. It's tempting to pick out all of the ways that people are not living the Jesus way around you, while at the same time completely ignoring your own walk with Jesus. In fact, I think it is so tempting because it's so easy. It's a lot easier to just keep figuring out what their problem is without ever looking at your own. It's like the person who's really mad at gossiping people, and so they go and talk to everyone about it. It's like the person who reads the Bible and thinks of all the people who need to hear that text. (laughs) You never chose to deal with your own mess, and so you end up messing on everyone else. But the call of disciples of Jesus is to realize that specks and logs are made of the same material. In other words, the thing that so annoys you about them likely has made its home in your heart. The very thing that you're so irritated about someone else is very, very likely something that you've never dealt with in your own life. So let me say this with love. Quit trying to do everyone else's work without first doing your own work. The third barrier is what I call bogus discipleship. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Bogus discipleship is the temptation to focus only on the externals of discipleship while never diving deep into the inner essence of who you are in your heart. Dallas Willard draws out the humor of this teaching by describing the ridiculousness of taking a roll of duct tape and taping a bunch of apples on a lemon tree and then taking a friend to see this tree, trying to convince them that they're looking at a lemon tree. He notes that it doesn't matter how many lemons that you tape to the tree, that that the inner essence of that tree is apples. The inner essence of the tree will ultimately produce the fruit that it is intended to produce. And so if you take a roll of duct tape and you try to tape a bunch of lemons to an apple tree, it's still an apple tree no matter how much tape you use, no matter how many lemons you use. We can do this with our lives. We live in a world where, where we can decorate our homes with Bible verses. We can put bumper stickers on our cars, and we can crank up the praise music, but we can never let our heart be touched in the deepest parts. We can get so obsessed with externals that we begin to rot from the inside and don't even realize it. 
You can have the Jesus fish on your car, but still have toxic road rage. You can hang Bible verses in your office, but still treat your employees unjustly. You can say all the right words of faith, but you can be wrong in all of your relationships. This is why you can go to church your whole life and then be as bitter and hateful as the first day you stepped into church. The call of disciples is to do their inner work, to tend the deepest places of our hearts. True discipleship is is not just dealing with the surface, but allowing our commitment to Jesus to transform the deepest parts of who we are. We have to go to a heart level with Jesus. And it it is with that in mind that we can actually hear this final question and parable of Jesus that pulls everything together in what Jesus has been trying to say in these previous three parables. And it's this final question and parable that we're reminded of what discipleship is all about, really. Jesus asks us this morning, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus asks us this morning, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is a discipleship moment. Because this is a discipleship question. The question and parable that follows is forcing us to consider whether or not we're really following Jesus by actually living out His teachings. And that's always true discipleship according to Jesus. Men and women who come to Jesus, who hear the teaching of Jesus and who put it into practice. And that, that's my favorite translation of this word and this verse, who put my words into practice. Because that gets at what discipleship ultimately is, a way of life where we are constantly practicing and attempting and trying out the teachings of Jesus in our everyday lives. Discipleship is not about perfection as much as it is practice. Discipleship is not about a destination as much as it is about a direction. Discipleship is is kind of like the science lab that I went to growing up in high school, where when I walked in, I, I knew that the purpose was to learn and practice and learn again, to experiment and to learn and to experiment again, to try and to fail and then to try again, that that the failing, that the not getting it right was ultimately a part of ultimately getting it right, that I had this learning posture when I walked into the lab. And So it is with discipleship to Jesus as we walk into our lives each and every day that we take on this learning posture, learning to live from Jesus as if He were in our place. 
We direct our lives and direct our steps according to the teachings of Jesus. And every time we do this, every time we choose to incorporate the teachings of Jesus into our everyday life, we're moving deeper into true discipleship, discipleship that lives out the teachings of Jesus. Everybody is going to have to serve somebody. So will you serve Jesus as Lord? Everybody is learning how to live from somebody. Will you learn from Jesus? Everybody is a disciple of somebody. So will you be a disciple of Jesus? Anybody, anybody can call Jesus Lord. But will you, will I, will we actually do what he says. Amen.